All right. Uh, I think we'll get started, folks. So thank you all for attending the Earthquake Science Center weekly seminar series. If you are new, welcome. If you'd like to be added to our email distribution group, please send us an email. Seminars are recorded and mostly all talks are posted on the USGS Earthquake Science Center webpage. And closed captioning can be turned on by clicking on the CC icon in the dot, 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 or more tab at the top of the page. Attendees, please mute your mics and turn off your cameras and wait until the Q&A session at the end of the talk. Submit your questions via the chat at any time, or you can wait to turn on your camera and ask your questions during the Q&A session. Ah, thank you, Wayne. Uh, today is the 30th anniversary of the 1994 magnitude 6.7 Northridge earthquake that impacted thousands of people in Southern California, including dozens that lost their lives. Uh, stay tuned for today's special seminar about the event. Uh, for more details and resources about the Northquake, or sorry, the Northridge earthquake, please see the link in the chat. Uh, join your USGS colleagues for lightning talk presentations showcasing the importance of Earth. All right, USGS Science on January 25th, 2024, from 2 to 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, you are also all invited to attend the 2024 three-day USGS Northern California Earthquake Hazards Workshop uh, from January 30th to February 1st. In lieu of posters this year, and if you're interested, we are inviting attendees to present short talks, five minutes or less, highlighting the pro um, progress related to the North Northern California earthquake hazards. I believe the registration for those has already closed though, so look forward to those thunder talks. Uh, the workshop is free and open to all who are interested in uh, better defining earthquake hazards and risk in Northern California. Register today um, and for the registration link, please see the chat. Um, F, um, and F, as an FYI, on January 16th, USGS scientists and our partners released the latest national seismic hazard model showing where damaged earthquakes are like damaging earthquakes are likely to occur. Uh, there's also a link in the chat with that uh, information. That concludes the announcements for today. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to USGS's Sue Hugh, and she will lead us into our seminar today. Sue Hugh. Oh, sorry. Wow. I really messed that one up. I apologize. <laughs> Well, let me not let me not worry about sharing the screen for the first part because it's not so important. Um, I am thrilled that Kate Hutton agreed to um, co-present the seminar with me. Um, Kate retired from Caltech in 2015 and has been blissfully removed from the world of PowerPoint. So we cooked up a plan where I'm going to put on a, a interviewers cap and ask her some questions to go through what happened before, during and after the Northridge earthquake. I did want to take a few minutes to introduce her. Um, some of you may not know her and some of you may not know the full range of her contributions to seismology. Um, not to embarrass her too much with this, but you know, those of you who know her um, along with Lucy Jones, who I'm sure everyone knows, Kate for years was one of two earthquake ladies who um, the public relied on for information after the earthquakes and she her she had a has a unflappable on-air persona that people really appreciated when the world around them was coming unglued. But the real reason I'm kind of channeling my inner fangirl involves Kate's broader contributions to seismology and I, I think I warned her I, I'm going to try not to embarrass her. 
But I started graduate school in the early 80s and women were just starting to show up in programs in appreciable numbers. There was a generation 10 or more years ahead of me that was really sparse. And there's a few names that you may know, starting with Inga Lehman. But if you poke around, you find out that there were other women involved with network seismology in particular, whose contributions often went unheralded. And Sarah Minson joked last week that in the early days of computing, it was hard and thankless and therefore it was women's work. And network seismology sometimes feels like this the same way. Um, did you know, for example, that for many years, Charles Richter's right-hand man in the Seismo Lab was a woman named Vi Taylor. And if Tom Hanks is out there, I, I know that he remembers her. Um, Ruth Simon uh, worked uh, in, with uh, seismograms in the early days at Lamont and wrote an early manual for seismogram interpretation. So Kate can't be considered an, an unsung heroine. I mean, she's well known. She co-authored papers, including first authored publications. But I think um, I think when she where, where she is known, it is for the role as a spokesperson and not for her broader contributions to seismology. And so I'm, I'm really thrilled that she's um, she's up for joining us and and talking about the, her experiences. So with that introduction, um, thank you, Kate. And uh, if I can just get started with my my interviewers cap on, can you start by um, letting everyone know when you started at the Seismolab? You did. Go ahead, Kate. I started in 1977, and I lasted until um, 2015, so uh, it was quite a while. Uh, and uh, when I okay, back to you. This is going to be fun muting and unmuting. So yeah, it was it was um, a while. Did you overlap with Charles Richter? I did not overlap with Charles Victor, although he did drop in after he retired a few times to say hello and cruise the hallways. Uh, so I, so I, you know, I knew him. I met him. That, that's a point of curiosity for, for me, anyway. But um, so I, I mentioned the issue of women in seismology in the early days. Were there other women around the Seismolab, the the Caltech division at that point? Well, we, uh, yeah, we had uh, Barbara Reed, who was Vi Taylor's uh, replacement. She did all of the um, reading of the paper seismograms, and there were still quite a few for a number of years after uh, I got there. Um, Anne Blanchard, Gladys Engen, Karen McNally upstairs in the, she was a postdoc, Lucy Jones, of course. Um, Carol Johnson, uh, then known car as Carl. Um, and uh, there were a few others, but those are the main ones that I interacted with. Yeah, and that, that went back to the early days, women like Vi, and, and there were others around. So what then did your job involve initially working with the, the network? Well, mainly it was uh, re uh, inter inter emergency interaction. Okay, uh, be there when it, when it happens. Uh, 
make sure the data that goes out is correct and so forth. Um, I was also working uh, with Carol Johnson uh, in who was uh, computerizing everything. We had a, a huge computer with two huge disk drives that was maybe as good as myself, not even as good as a cell phone. <laughs> uh, that was supposed to take over the recording of the seismic network telemeter data. Um, and it did gradually over the time. So I was working with that. Uh, I was also supposed to be a sort of a front line person with the media uh, in case anybody had questions or uh, there was an earthquake. And what else? And what else? <laughs> so, <laughs> a, lot. So a lot. Things were transitioning at sort of at that point to everything being computerized and, and automatic. That's, I think, what you're. Yeah. yeah. Well, it took a long, took time, a long though. time, though. So with and I muting and unmuting gets a little tricky with the back and forth. Um, were the paper drums around at that point? They were. Uh, they were. Uh, I remember for the Northridge earthquake, we we used them to check uh, what we were getting off the computer, and of course, except after the first earthquake, first quake, the main shock, it was really hard to separate what was going on. But uh, we did use we used the drums and we used the um, developers, which are. Uh, film-based recording and the, the, the computer system together, plus some plus input. Some from, input from, yeah. So were there any strong motion data brought into the network workflow at that point, or were they entirely separate? Well, well I, I believe at that, at that time, the um, strong motion was all uh, concentrated in engineering, in earthquake engineering, and uh, you know we talked to them, of course, but I don't think we had uh, that kind of data available right away. January seventeenth, nineteen ninety-four. Can you take us back to that morning and what happened? Well, well somehow I got. Somehow I got waked up in the middle of the night by the ground shaking. <laughs> um, and I have the sort of a quick reaction to, you know, get up, get my get my clothes on, feed the dogs and go to the lab as quickly as possible. And I live about two, three miles away from the seismo lab. So I was uh, I'm glad I didn't check. I didn't encounter any um, speed traps on the way. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I tried to get there before the media, but I can't do it. I mean, there's no way. So um, was the media I, there I, before I, you even that morning? Some of them, yeah. They park on the street out in the middle of the street outside of the Seismolab. And... <sighs> Okay, so you get to the lab and you had a dual role. You were, you needed to be looking at all this data, but also talking to the media. So 
how did that work out? Well, we can't well, we can talk to the media until we have something to say. So, uh, you know, it's it's they can talk to themselves. For I mean, they're very good at talking to each other and talking to themselves um, while we figure out what's going on. And, you know, we had to be pretty careful because it was a place that we weren't really necessarily expecting to see an earthquake. It's in the middle of a valley. Okay. Uh, we haven't seen much seismicity there. The closest was the um, San Fernando earthquake from prior, from prior. Um, and we had to make sure it was right. Okay. You know, it, it's interesting because I remember Clarence Allen saying in 71, they had the epicenter sort of where they expected it along the range front, but then someone looked at the, the sort of projections and realized the fault rupture actually came out into the valley up near, um, I forget what the town is, but yeah, so at that time, you're saying the network was spitting out hypocenter and magnitude. Is that right? Say, can you say that again, please? I, at, I sort of went into an aside, but at, as of 94, the main network products for release were the hypocenter and the magnitude. Is that right? So and that's what the media expected, expected to, get. to get. So then what what were the issues, you know, was that, were those determined quickly? Were there issues nailing things down? You, you alluded to it, that. What, there wasn't any real problem getting the information. Believing it was a little bit more of a problem because it seemed like an odd place in the middle of the valley in the middle of a flat valley to have a, a an earthquake of that size. And we just I had to make sure it was sure. sure. And was the initial epicenter in Reseda or Northridge? <laughs> <laughs> the final result was that it was in Reseda, but not very far. Uh, and the reason it got the name Northridge is because the first thing that came to our mind in terms of, we you know, when we get the epicenter, it was Cal State Northridge, which is right on the edge of Northridge. Okay. Uh, and there was and damage, there was damage at, Cal State, Cal, at Cal State Northridge. So I think that's why the name came, came about. So it, it eventually became clear that the rupture was more under Northridge than Reseda, so in terms of the really damaging shaking, um, Northridge makes sense. Well, the, yes, and, and, and in terms of the the fault rupture extended to the north. So uh, Reseda just happened to host the epicenter. Do you remember how long it took to have a sense of the fault rupture? I don't know. It's all, it's all it, a lot of it is a blur. <laughs> yeah. Did you sleep the first week? Well, I had to have slept sometime. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. <laughs> and you must have eaten, but um, yeah. yeah. well, well, something. Your dogs must have eaten. Well, 
you know, I, I got, I got, I got, I had a house, I had a house and, and I got her to take care of the Okay. Um, was the name, was the name contentious, you know, between, you know, Reseda and Northridge? Not for very long. Okay. Um, let's see. Maybe we so should, maybe we should do over. 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 <laughs> yeah, but Kate's active with the ham radio communities, so she's uh, more better at this than, than I am. Um, so you're trying to deal with the aftershocks, which are, how did that processing go? They were happening nonstop initially, right? Well, the issue, well, the with, issue with, with aftershocks is that it's, they're smaller than the quakes that have happened before, and they're hidden in the record. Uh, so it's sometimes difficult, and there's also sometimes a, more than one or two or three or four in the same minute. Um, so it's um, it's a a long process to sort it out. And so in the beginning, we were mainly doing only the main, sh only the larger ones. How back to you. Back to you. <laughs> well, when I knew, that's that's sort of my over. If um, so, how long did it take before things sort of got back to normal? I'm not sure what you mean by back to normal. I. If you are you talking about when we got all the locations for all of the readable earthquakes, that was years, a couple of years. Uh, if you're talking about uh, being able to deal with today's earthquakes without interference from other earthquakes, uh, a couple of months, a month or two. So how many analysts were working with you? You were sort of heading the, that group at that point? But how many, how big was the group? Well, we normally have, a, we, we normally have two analysts, okay? And when we um, got an extra load like this, you know, we would go through um, a process of hiring more and training them. So uh, they didn't really help right away. Uh, <laughs> I remember Tom Heaton talked about seismology in Pasadena as science by fire hose for a while because there were so many felt earthquakes. There was, boy, the Pasadena, there was Upland, there was Landers, there was Northridge, 95, there was a Ridgecrest sequence. Um, so those must have been some sort of crazy years to to be at the network. I would agree I with that. that. <laughs> that wasn't really a... A question. So you know, all of this was sort of a, a massive distraction from research projects that you might have pursued you meant to have so much data coming at you so quickly, I assume. Um, yes. <laughs> but I, you know, I, you know, I was you I was used to it. OK, I. I Every time we have an earthquake, there's a pattern, and it's just like the pattern of the earthquakes. 
the, the pattern of the seismologist scrambling to get the data in a form that the, we, the public could get it first and then sec and then after that the more accurate analysis that a seismologist would use and that sort of ends you know gets to where I, I kind of wanted to end up I mean the 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 network was putting out the the earthquake catalog for Southern California which goes back to 1932 um, and it's one of the longest consistently interpreted uh, catalogs and I, I I remember your Hutton et al 2010 right that didn't you look back at all of the data all of the Facebook pics going back to the beginning well there wasn't much more we could add uh, to the early data uh, that would that was very well gone over by people like uh, Victor uh, but to to just overview how the how the systems have changed and the analysis has changed and the number of earthquakes that can be processed has changed over time so for the early like first decades of the network I mean, how many stations were did the network comprise do you remember i believe it's, I believe eight. it's eight okay <laughs> something, like, something that. like that so those early locations were determined with at most eight stations and um do you remember what the clocks were like back then well each station had its own clock and it was it could be a completely off from the other ones uh, so the analyst had to go through recordings of the time that came along with the records when they were mailed into us from the from the station and try to figure out what the actual real time was. We didn't even have WWV yet. WWV yet in those days. So didn't couldn't the clocks drift a whole lot? Yes. Yes. They did. They did, but there was a recording of the of the clock along with the recording of the seismograms. Uh, and it was up to the analysts, uh, which would be Vi Taylor in those days, uh, to uh, sort it out. Boy, it kind of figures that clock corrections were left to women. Um, <laughs> so, okay, um, yeah, I, you know, looking back and thinking how the, the network has evolved is, is fascinating. That 2010 paper, if people aren't familiar with it, is, is worth reading. My, my last question, sort of on a personal note, when earthquakes happen now, are you glad to be out of the fray or, or do, you, do you miss it? Uh, I don't really miss it. I don't really miss it. No, I, I, I follow, I follow it. it. I don't really. I don't. I don't feel jealous. Okay. Um. Was there anything that you'd like to to add before I start? Um. That I didn't ask. Um. Or that comes to mind. 
we will have a there's a tradition of an informal Q and A at the end, so I thought I'd go ahead and transition through the slides when we wrap up and then come back and you know that'll be a chance if people have questions. But that's fine. That's fine. Fine with fine with. Okay. Um. Thank you for for doing this. It's 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 been great for me, and I hope other people have been interested as well. Okay. Well, this is all right. Hi. I'll see if I can advance them. So yeah, this is what I was going to show that you know, that Kate was, you know, one of the the, the two earthquake ladies. Uh, the second part is more standard seminar, Sue giving PowerPoint stuff, um, and I really wanted to talk about the characterization characterization of ground motions and you know Northridge and how things evolved. So Northridge had so many long-term impacts from building codes to retrofitting of straight state bridges and overpasses by Caltrans, the monitoring networks, it really pushed along the broadband networks, the real-time products, Kate talked a little bit about that. Um, Carol Johnson, then known as Carl, was uh, developing some of those early systems. And then it prodded along the products that we, um, that are so familiar, and I'll talk about those. Uh, but it really was a different time, as Kate talked about. You know, the, there were real-time systems, but they they were uh, focused on determining the magnitude and the hypocenter. The strong motion data weren't really. It was a separate workflow from the network. Maps. Oh my gosh, younger the younger generation will never appreciate. You know that how much fun it was not to. You know, we didn't have uh, Google Maps in our back pocket. You know we were. We were working with uh, topo maps back then, and that's my dog again. So, and the the process of science was just slower back then. Uh, Lucy Jones spearheaded the overview article. It was published in Science in October of '94, so that year. But it was a, a full nine months um, for that study to come together. It included aftershock relocations. It summarized the strong motion records. It was a watershed data set, uh, Shackle et al. Um, and, uh, what were the, the main reports on that? There were, so this was from that paper, which did include PGAs uh, from over 200 uh, free field stations with PGAs above 1% G. That was a, a, a huge and important data set. It was clear early on that the ground motions had been higher than median for that magnitude. That's a result that's held up. In the 94 uh, article, there was this map. If you look closely, there's binned PGA values. Um, and then, yeah, in the, in the near field. The forerunner of a shake map, uh, we believe, is this figure from Wald et al, 1996. It shows contoured PGV in the epicentral region. So that was two years later. There were a lot of studies, focused studies on ground motion variability, just to name a few. Uh, Gao et al. looked at localized focusing in the Santa Monica area and where the I-10 collapsed. Midfield, who uh, we know, uh, led a study looking at pervasive nonlinearity in the, in the region. Uh, the people were looking at hanging wall versus footwall effects, Norm Abramson. Um, Ned and I worked on ground motion coherence and so forth. 
So now we have you know, a modern shake map that captures, characterizes the shaking uh, throughout California. It was felt over quite a bit of the state. And then there's a focused, um, the uh, zoomed in map shown here. And I wanted to talk just a bit about the shake map system. Oh, so if you look at the shake map, you see circles and triangles. The triangles are instrumental values. The circles are actually intensities that come from the did you feel it system, which was also rolled out in 1999. It, I'm going to talk about this actually quite a bit, which won't surprise anybody who knows me. Um, it asks people, it takes them through the standard questionnaire and comes up with an intensity value that we can use, not instrumental, to map out the severity of shaking. So the shake map, okay, what goes into a shake map? You start with a real-time broadband seismic network, and the idea was to move from epicenter magnitude to a characterization of shaking. So you get the instrumental PGA, PGV, you layer in ground motion predictions from models, you layer in proxy-based site response, and then you convert everything using a ground motion intensity conversion equation or GMICE, and you layer in did you feel it intensities. And in the end, all of this technology, what you end up with is an intensity map. Um, now, there's don't don't at me. There's way more to <clears throat> to the system than this. There's predictions of PGA, PGV that are used in for for engineering purposes, they don't work with intensity. But it sort of, you know, it, it amuses me that what we're showing to the public are intensity maps, which is a very old um, way of, of, of um, presenting information. And as an aside, if you'll allow me this, <clears throat> as it happens, today is the publication date for a project I've been working on forever. It's uh, the other SC, Charleston, South Carolina. Um, in 1886, that earthquake happened. It was felt throughout much of the US. Charles Dutton led a team uh, collecting reports and assigning Rossi Farrell intensities. This is the map that was published laboriously a few years later. And the paper that was published today, poof, we update that map. Um, use it. There's no instrumental data, but we have a lot of uh, intensity information and modern ground motion models and the, the proxy-based site response. So here again, we've come full circle from intensities to intensities. So, okay, but of course we've gone uh, a million miles beyond that scientifically. And I wanted to now highlight a product that uh, Rob Graves has put together. So after the Northridge earthquake, the, the product development, you know, led to ShakeMap and Did You Feel It, other systems, Stakewald was, was heading a lot of that. But also people starting, I think, with your own Trump when he was at Caltech, started to work towards simulating 3D shaking uh, using available technologies. Rob, who's in Pasadena, who many of you know, has pushed that along to generate movies of how the ground shakes within complicated 3D geology like we have in the LA Basin. So I'm going to show this movie a couple of times. You can find it online. You can download it. I'm going to just let it play once and then I'll go back and, and look at it again. It is just, I've seen it a hundred times and it's fascinating to watch. So this is straight 
predictions, the earthquake happens, and it's sped up, of course. So this is um, this is at 30 seconds. You can watch the energy reverberating in different directions. I'll let it play out. It goes to, I think, 75 seconds. You watch the, the energy still bouncing around. Okay. And then I'm going to, oh, so you can back it up. You can undo an earthquake. This is a lot of fun. All the energy comes back. So now um, when I play it, the, the earthquake nucleates, there's, it ruptures up dips. So there's enormous focusing. Um, this was the area that I-5, I-14 collapsed. But other things are going on. Um, and, okay, I'm going to stop it to say something I meant to say earlier. These simulations require supercomputer calculations and the, the the more you push it to high frequencies the more supercomputer time it takes so rob has worked with partners at skec to come up with a a kind of uh, procedure to generate maps like uh, animations like this about an hour after a significant earthquake happens or using about an hour of supercomputer time and it's kind of a quick and dirty um, animation in that it's, quote, only an hour of supercomputer time. Um, so this isn't really a research product. If one wanted to simulate shaking, you know, it is as a research project, you could push it to higher frequencies and more supercomputer time. So this map goes to um, its frequencies less than one hertz. So I meant to say that. So now, okay, let's back it up. But even, even with that limitation, I find these maps fascinating because of what they capture. You know, watch what happens in Santa Monica. You do see the focusing and the amplification. You see amplification in the corners of the San Fernando Valley. You see that energy doesn't really pump into the San Gabriel Valley very efficiently. So yeah, if you want to you know play with this and look at it more, um, there's gonna be a link online later. So then USGS, that's us. Okay, so I and I and I show this again with all the caveats in mind that this is a uh, band limited frequency less than one hertz simulation. You can take the simulated shaking and come up with a, a shake map, if you will, predicted um, with the limitations. There's probably too much coherence, I think, that's amplifying the the shaking up dip. Um, but okay, then compare it to what actually happened. And I have to explain the map on the right. It's not an intensity map. What I've done is taken the did you feel it intensity. So this is you know the low tech data. I've uh, subtracted out a baseline and then I'm plotting the residuals here. So where was the shaking higher or lower than expected? You can see that it was mostly higher than expected. Um, so greenish is zero, that's matching the, the shaking. Two is two full units. And if you look in detail at these maps, even with the limitations, I think there's some really intriguing um, you know, matches between the two where you see these wings of, of stronger shaking around the edges. You see that in the actual intensities. Uh, and again, down in Santa Monica, you see that uh, both in the predictions. So I think that really is a testimony to how how far the these technologies have 
come. So I, I continue to talk to myself um, in the hope that I'm still connected and people can still hear me. Um, Okay, great. <laughs> Thank you. So uh, you know, I'm going to talk about the intensity distribution. I mean, that's what matters for people in the built environment is how the ground shook. So it was a different world for, for that technology too. In 1994, Jim Dewey led the effort to characterize the shaking distribution initially. There were mail questionnaires that went to post offices, to fire and police stations, there was quite a good return rate, but you can imagine how that played out. This took time. The it was a, the standard questionnaire. Did you feel it? Did things fall off of shelves? The intensity values were assigned manually, as was the practice at that time. They were whole numbers. Um, sometimes people had assigned ranges, but mostly they were whole numbers uh, from one to, to nine. So in a year or so later, there was this intensity map. Um, and then a, a really important contribution was a few years later, uh, Lori Dingler and Jim Dewey conducted a telephone survey of, of about 6,000 people who experienced the earthquake, so casting a wider net. And they had these standard questionnaires. And then, you know, so you could go through 6,000 and assign intensities, but they realized that what, what, what experts were doing based on their experience could be formalized. You could take these questions and define um, indices, you know, motion indice, a motion index, a reaction index, and use those, come up with a formula that would mimic the assignments that were done manually. And that led to this idea of a community decimal intensity. So it took the, um, the, the human element out of it and allowed intensities to be determined uh, fairly automatically once you have the intensity information. And that was Dengler and Dewey, 1998. I'm trying to put the references on the bottom of each slide. So that then set the stage for, did you feel it? Because you could, suddenly you can scale intensity surveys without, you know, without, um, you know, an, an excruciating exercise uh, using essentially that, that approach that uh, Lori and Jim pioneered that um, Dave Wald and Vince Quatoriano put together a, an internet-based system to, to collect as many responses as people would contribute. There's some noise in the background. I hope it's not too bad. Okay, so now I'm going to take a series of left turns in, in the time that have uh, that's left, and one of them is to talk about something I've looked at recently, the question which earthquake accounts matter. And this is work I did with Stacy Martin. We both realized that accounts of earthquakes are enormously important for science, both historically and in modern times. But an account is only useful for science if it's recorded and preserved. So, you know, whose whose reports are um, are available? Well, Los Angeles is a diverse place. This is a map of um, ethnic background across the LA area, and there are places that are predominantly Hispanic. Um, if you know the LA area, there's places that are predominantly black, uh, but I've circled some of the regions that are predominantly Hispanic. Well, if you, so this map is a heat map of did you feel it participation. 
So it, it's pretty simple. I've taken the numbers of people who responded in each zip code and normalized it by the population in that zip code. And then the color scale here is logarithmic from blue to yellow. It's a factor of 10. So it's been known for a long time that people tend to report into did you feel it if they feel stronger shaking. We know that. But if you get away from that, um, you, you see some real patterns that, you know, these areas, I'm going to put the same circles on the map. The places that are heavily Hispanic were not getting um, as many did you feel it reports, which raises the question of whether there are language barriers. Um, this is, I looked at this in a 2021 Frontiers article um, that did not, it didn't consider um, Northridge because I was only looking at events after 99. But this is the Ridgecrest heat map versus Northridge. And there in 25 years, the patterns haven't really changed much, the relative responses. And if you know the LA area, this if you can see the black line along the coast, that's the 405 freeway. And west of the 405 is the, the priciest real estate or some of it. And then east is more, it's more mixed in terms of demographics. You can almost plot the 405 freeway from the did you feel it responses. So this is part of what motivated a, a outreach effort that's uh, slash media that was launched a week ago. Um, we're inviting the public who felt the Northridge earthquake to share their experiences to if they haven't already. So Northridge happened before Did You Feel It? But you can go back in and contribute Did, Did You Feel It? reports after the fact. And part of the motivation is that we're hoping to cast a wider net. Um, the Did You Feel It? questionnaire is now available in Spanish as well as Chinese. Um, we put out a tweet uh, from one of the USGS uh, Twitter accounts in Spanish. Um, it was disappointing, but not surprising. We got a little bit of negative blowback from Spanish, but you know, it's LA is a is a diverse place, and we need to characterize shaking in in all of the the neighborhoods. Um, we are moving the needle. This is ongoing, but we started with short, short just under 10,000 responses. Last count, we're over 12,000. So that's, you know, 20% more. And it's going to be really interesting to see how the picture changes. You know, we have intensity versus distance. Is that going to change? I Maybe not with the, the level of scatter. Um, but there's other questions that I'm, I'm looking forward to looking at. And if anyone out there is, is interested in, in the questions, please let me know. You know, can we improve our characterization of small scale variability? Do the fish get bigger? You know, fish stories, people look back and, you know, the fish gets bigger in time. Does shaking, do people report more dramatic effects now than at the time? Or do the fish get smaller? And this is something that happens historically and in present time, day times. The, the accounts that surface most easily and most readily are the ones of dramatic effects. People go to did you feel it if they felt stronger shaking. Uh, the news media is talking about what happens, not what didn't happen. So when you work to find more accounts, you may actually ferret out the, the smaller fish that weren't caught initially. Um, do the donut holes fill in? This is something Remy Basu's team in France has looked at. 
there are some intensity maps that are uh, conspicuously missing accounts in the near field. And sometimes there may not be people there, but it seems to be more than that. That you know, people, and it, it makes sense if you experience really strong shaking, did you feel it may not be your first priority? And can we cast a wider net? Can we, can we um, you know, better reach people who maybe weren't coming into did you feel it before? Um, the answers, these questions aren't rocket science per se, but they're interesting and they're important because for historical earthquakes, intensities are the only, often the only information we have to constrain ground motions. Even for modern earthquakes like 94, there's more people than seismometers. So the, the best characterization of the details, the actual observed shaking, is often still going to come from intensity values, which have been shown by various studies by Gail Atkinson and others, that they actually correspond remarkably well with the instrumental data. So instead of conclusions, I'm ending up with this QR code. And if I'll, I'll put it up for, leave it up for uh, a minute or two. And if you want to um, capture it, it will take you to the Did You Feel It page for the Northridge earthquake. This is what we've been putting out to the public. So if you felt the earthquake, um, or if you're in California, Arizona, and you didn't feel the earthquake, that's information that will help flesh out the map. And so you know, we, we invite anyone who's listening to be part of this, this experiment. Um, and in the end, the information that we collect it all goes to better capture shaking. It's going, it's being actively used to improve the, the shake alert system, the warnings that go out to people to understand how those warnings are, are used and, and perceived by people. So with that, I'm going to try to stop. Well, I, I guess I should leave it up, um, but I can stop talking and maybe Kate and I can both entertain questions. Let's put it back there. So thank you to, to anybody who's who's out there and who <laughs> tuning in. Uh, let's uh, let's thank, thank you and Kate and Kate. But yeah at this point any questions from the audience? Or don't be shy. Margaret's got a question. I guess you can hear me. This yeah. question is for Kate. Uh, I don't think it was asked. I was just curious the day or the morning, the early morning when you were driving in, if you, you know, I'm sure you had a lot of adrenaline. I, I'm curious if you thought the main shock had already happened or if you were sort of anticipating that the main shock could happen that day or in the days to come. What that was like? Well, there's always that chance that it was a foreshock, but most of the time, it's uh, you know when you feel a big earthquake, it's not followed by anything larger. It's just followed by a ton of aftershocks. Uh, you know, you sort of have to go with the flow. Uh, I thought about all those things. Yes, it's true. Hey, could you actually tell us a bit about the experience of those aftershocks? Um, 
how that affected your work and if there were any large ones that that had a meaningful impact? Well, there were two at least that were over six in the first day and and yeah, I remember feeling those. Um, you know, it's just like uh, being dumped on by a huge amount of data. I mean, you don't really have time to react to it personally. You just have to, you know, try to sort it out and try to answer the questions that you're being asked. So to jump back in, I was living in Southern Arcadia at the time, so I definitely felt it um, also didn't quite obey the speed limit getting to the lab. I headed out with Dave Wall to deploy some GEOS instruments, which were a whole lot of fun early digital recorders that were designed and built by the USGS or an effort Roger Borchert led. Uh, it was actually me and Dave Wall driving out to Northridge. And it, someone said it, it felt like a war zone. I mean, there were fires. Uh, we started to drive over an overpass, realized that the middle part of it had settled, decided maybe we shouldn't keep going got out there was a the train derailed in northridge was right below that um so we kept going talked to homeowners you know can we put a seismometer in your backyard and there was a, one of the sixes was around 3 30 and we were talking we were in the backyard of a of a house in northridge they had a swimming pool that was down the water level was down maybe two feet from the main shock that aftershock was causing water to slosh, more water to slosh out of the pool. So I don't know what intensity that was, but it was, um, that was impressive shaking. But was Kate, were, were aftershocks felt in the lab as you were, all this, everything else was going on? You said the larger ones, uh, but. Uh, yes, uh, but, uh, you know, I don't have a, any figures on how many. I mean, we were just busy. And they were all smaller than the main shock, so we just uh, kept going. Other questions from the room or online? I had one, I suppose, Kate, for, for you. How many days was it until um, you know, there was a lot of work to be done, but I imagine right after the earthquake, it was kind of on all hands on deck for X amount of hours. When was it that you actually, you know, went home um, and were, were able to take a little bit of rest for, for a while? Was it 48 hours, 36 hours? Well, we would start going into shifts after a, a day or so. And, you know, we'd, we'd get less sleep than we really needed, but... Uh, we we did get enough to like stay vertical and process data. Gotcha, gotcha. So I think wait, I, oh wait. Wayne's hands up. I thought of a question I forgot to ask, but yeah, I'll go to let it, Wayne have the. Um, how soon, both of you, do you recall that it became clear that the earthquake was a blind thrust? Oh, I would say pretty soon because I, I mean, we were the fact that it was the location and the the intensities distribution and the you know the digital data. 
Yeah, I was. I mean, ground motions. People weren't so worried about that. It was more, you know, the, the usual sorts of things you do to map to look at the variability of shaking and record aftershocks. So that's um, that's not an issue that I was worried about. Um, although, yeah. I asked the question. The uh, as Kate was saying, the the earthquake was in this valley and what the heck was going on and so I, my question is how soon did it become clear what was going on that it that it was a blind thrust well that one is yours that one is yours well no th 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 there's a question for you because there was you know was this an unknown fault and so yeah. the, the yeah. fault you know how that was an issue right early on and with the yeah. media yeah. what faulted it yeah. Well, yeah, that's why it took us so long to get the the epicentral information available because we weren't we had to check it and check it and check it. We weren't necessarily um, believing what we were seeing. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, Sue. Hey, hey Kate. Good to see you. Um, just to Wayne's question, you know, we don't do this anymore, surprisingly, but at the time we had first motion mechanisms. And uh, so we probably knew the mechanism, even though we didn't have moment tensors and, and all that kind of thing at the time. So you have, you know, at least, you know, it's a thrust. You just don't know what direction it is at that point. So I, I think that um, it took quite a bit of time to actually identify the fact that it was buried and what, what direction what it was direction dipping. Was dipping. Yeah, my recollection was that it was that it was buried, but the fact that it was, um, yeah, I'm dyslexic. Um, it, the expectation was it was going to be a south dipping thrust, like like 71, and the fact that it was south dipping, I think, led to some consternation that that I remember um, more than yeah. the fact yeah. that it was buried. Yes, I agree. Yes, I agree. And, so that's, you know, you were interfacing with the media, trying to sort things out. I think I didn't ask, I mean, how were the interviews happening back then? There was no media center, right, at Caltech? Uh, mostly in uh, outside, in the, where, where the media trucks were parked outside of the lab, not so much on the inside. Uh, once the number of media people decrease a little bit, which which would be like weeks. Uh, we did them inside, but uh, a lot of it was outside. And I, I don't want to keep monopolizing the the dialogue, but my recollect recollection is that that sort of chaos led sort of directly to the media center that we have today. So it's into better organize the media response. You're nodding. Other questions? Other questions? Um, um, don't see. see. It looks like we're at 30. So let's all take a moment to thank Kate to again to the great Thanks, folks.